Hey guys, it's Abdul for the good folks over at Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown Indianapolis. Well, it is officially spring, score one for the good guys, which means warmer weather, which means you don't need as heavy a clothes. So maybe you may want to lighten up your wardrobe a little bit by head over to Leon Tailoring. That's right, maybe a nice spring jacket or maybe a nice pair of slacks or trousers or perhaps a nice spring dress uh, for the ladies in our audience. No matter what it is, Leon Tailoring can take care of all your spring needs. So spring on over Leon Tailoring. Larry, Norm, Kim, and Judy, happy to see you. Leon Tailoring, 809 North Delaware, downtown. Indianapolis. Well, let's, uh, let's fast forward 53 years. You're president of the City County Council. You've been there, what, 10 years now? I think it's a change. Yes, 10 years. About 10 years. Wow. Scary. I knew that off the top of my head. I get a life. It's more alcohol later. Um, just kidding about the alcohol. Um, in, a, in, a, in a sort of a post Unigo universe, how easy, difficult is it for you to do your job uh, as council president that would have had almost sort of half a century? Well, let me also say thank you for the opportunity to be here this afternoon and to see so many people uh, who, who want to be here and, and be part of this discussion. If I may, I'd like to go back 50 years and admit to the fact that I was actually alive during that period of time. Um, and alive and living in a household with two educators, two IPS educators, and then encircled with family members, three other IPS educators in, in three different aunts. And I don't look upon this as an historical event because I saw the impact in my own household. The bitter pill that my mother and her mother, uh, who was also an IPS um, uh, the teacher, her sister and her two aunts, the fact that they believed this was not just a bitter pill that they would have to swallow, but they could foresee the impact on the funding of the schools. Now, if you want to couple this with, at that very same time, we were having the planning of the interlude of the interstate. And the school that I attended, which just so happened to be the school that my mom taught at, School 26, was during that period of time being impacted by the construction, first of all, by the demolition of communities or the community around the school, which then impacted the school, which then made it more of a, a living, breathing, um, I, I, I guess I can use a term that my aunt probably would have used, and that would have been a slap. And so, I can look back on that and remember where it started and the impact and, and the ways that my own family uh, thought about it. Now, as was spoken before, we are where we are today, and there is no going back in the history. So what we're met with now um, are a number of lessons. One, the importance of the people's voice. I do believe that had this gone to a referendum, had there been some means of extending hands across the aisle, maybe it might not have gone forward, but had it gone forward, there would have been voices that represented the entire community. As you recall at the time, the superintendent, um, um, 
chairman of the board, I should say, chairman of the school board, Landrum Shields, uh, was also my mom's pastor. So that's just another sort of way that this impacted our family. We do believe, and I do believe, that things would have been different. Today, it is a constant reminder that so many of the children that we are, that are growing up in our community, have, have less resources than their peers in the township schools, which otherwise would not have been the case had there been a will to make this through the body, had there been a will to say, if we're going to unify this, this county, then we're going to do it across the board. And so when we see our kids, many of whom have schools that do not have the same level of resources, the same level of funding, we see kids who um, don't have the same levels of outcome, to be frank, which then impacts their futures, their neighborhoods, their communities, which means then that there are more needs, more focus needs in specific areas than otherwise would have been needed. And most of those communities are communities of kids who look like myself, which now means that we as the city have to, as we've done in the last, well, most specifically in the last two years, think about how we spend our money equitably. And many of you remember two years ago when the council made that declaration that as we go forward, we are going to be looking through uh, at our budget, how we spend our money through a lens of equity in order for our kids and their parents and their communities, their neighborhoods, to be able to get to an outcome that is on par, which then means that decisions made 50 years ago are having to be addressed and in many ways rectified in the present age. So what happened 50 years ago did not go away. It, it kicked the ball down the field. And we're living in the present circumstances right now with the levels of investment, the levels of outcome, educational attainment, are not on par, are not equal, and are certainly not equitable. So once again, it means then that, that folks in the council, folks in local government, have an additional task, and that is to address those things with their eyes wide open, and then work with our community members, work with our leaders in the corporate sector, in the philanthropic sector, and in the private sector, to try to get those addressed.
Are you asking, did we get efficiencies? Yes, sir. Uh, yes, we, we did. I, I cannot enumerate them for you at this moment. But I can say to you that uh, in answer to these comments about schools, the group of 13, including the two attorneys that I mentioned, we wanted very much to include schools. As a matter of fact, Dick Luger said at the time, this is the perfect moment to unify all of the school corporations in Marion County. And we then had a uniform property tax rate across the county when you balanced out the suburban differences with the inner city differences. And thus, you would have avoided the enormous confrontation that took place when Judge Dillon got involved. I point out that uh, Dillon's proposal, of course, was inter-district busing, which turned out to be an utter failure here in Marion County because the children being moved from the inner city to suburban school districts did not, in fact, get much benefit from what was supposed to be a better quality of education. So I, I guess what I have to say to you is, if we could go back and do it now, <laughs> we'd love to include schools. The fact of the matter is we couldn't pass it that way, and we knew it. And consequently, we decided to take part of a loaf rather than all of the loaf. I'd also say that uh, in this, in, in the process, uh, one of the mistakes we made was the one that deals with annexation. What we did was, at the last minute, one of our members of the delegation said, we can't get the votes of the suburban legislators unless we freeze the boundaries of Marion County. And that included Marion County schools as well. And so the result of, of, of this was that that was placed in the bill with the hope and what we thought was the assurance. And I remember Ned telling me at the time that he didn't want to do it, but we thought there were votes there to pass the bill. The fact was not one of those suburban legislators voted for this, not one. So that was a futile gesture on our part and a mistake that we made. Uh, we, we've never suggested this is a flawless piece of legislation. I guess I'd have to say, with given the choice of doing it or not doing it, I would do it again in a minute. It changed the nature of Marion County and our government, the reputation of our city, being mayor became a very desirable political post. And as you look at the members of, the, uh, of those individuals who have been mayor since that time, we have brought both Democrats and Republicans to the mayor's office who are first-rate individuals with intellectual capabilities and a sensitivity for the people that they work with. Uh, let me ask you about uh, the politics of UNIGOV. Um, for lack of a better term, how did UNIGOV, did it sort of delay the inevitable transition in Marion County, or did uh, they just get Republicans more in charge, or, or would it have happened anyway that Democrats would become the majority as folks move to suburban to suburban?
I have few mechanical skills. <laughs> Join the club, me too. Thank you. Well, I still believe in the principle that I started with, consent of the government. And in Indiana, in Indiana, no city has home rule. There's nothing like the system that I grew up with in Texas where every other year there was a charter amendment someplace on the ballot where you voted size of city council, uh, percentage of tax, which is going to be increased, and all citizens got a chance to voice their opinions. And many of them did not pass the first time. Most of the time, the people regrouped and in the principle of compromise, which uh, Mutz and Lankin have both uh, indicated, that's exactly what happened in the debate and discussions that went on. And I also want to add that Indianapolis was not the only part of the, in, of the country that was undergoing a look at what they then called metropolitan government. Everybody was recognizing that city limits with a, a, a tax base could not support the demand for services. But ironically, in most of those communities, schools were the leading factors because that's where most of the money was going. In Indianapolis, we took away a lot of money from the schools once we got here ago because we decided for the next 30 years to concentrate on downtown development and sports. And schools ceased to be on the agenda for the most part. And the way we pay taxes in, 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 in the uh, area is that a lot of the downtown development was built on the backs of the school system because that portion of the tax that went to schools was used to help retire the debt which we incurred to bring about the downtown and sports development. Uh, let me ask you about that. Um, because at the end of the debate about schools and, and school funding and the whole nine yards, did UNIGOV hurt school funding, particularly the IPS school system, or is the fact that there's so much government property and sort of non-tax property in the IPS school district that that was more the reason why IPS maybe did not get as much funds for proper taxes as say a Pike or a Lawrence? It's, it's on. Sure. You gotta hold it to your mouth. Hold it. What's, what's it? When it comes to school funding, particularly IPS, uh, was it UNIGOV that hurt IPS's funding or is the fact that in Marion County, particularly in Central Township, there's so much government property. You've got the Capitol building, you know, you've got the, the Monument Circle, you've got you know, the War Memorial. Was that for the reason why IPS or lost money as opposed to UNIGOV per se? If that makes sense now. Turned it off. 
There's no question that the uh, tax-exempt properties are a major problem for uh, lots of reasons within central Indianapolis, particularly for the schools. And there are a lot of us who would have a major problem with that. The ones that you described were already tax-exempt prior to UNIGOV. There hasn't been that much more tax-exempt property added during since that, that period of time. Tax exemption is a major, major issue. And that's why we need to look at other ways to raise money. For instance, one of the things that I supported vigorously was a uh, site value taxation, which would say if you took a lot and built a 50-story building on it, the whole building would be taxed, not just the lot. But that's, that's what we do today. We, we don't tax the development. We just develop tax the site. And, uh, and, and that, that's, a, that's, a, that's a problem. Anyway, um, the one comment I have to make about the schools, if we had included schools, we would not have UNIGOV. And maybe that's a good thing, if some people think that. If we had, if you want to include schools, you have to deal with that as a separate issue. Uh, we could not put it in and pass the bill. Had we put it in the bill, school systems would be just the same today as they are today because we would not have passed the UNIGOV bill. There was no way we could handle schools. One of the things we did try to do, however, was that the city county councils were elected at large. And we said, no, that's not right. Individual districts within our county need to have their own personal representatives. So we went to single member districts and the majority of the city county council is single member districts. So that somebody should have a constituency to which he reports or she reports uh, for matters of, of government. That did not exist before. Uh, the, the executives were, and, and on the, the question of the excluded cities like Speedway, Lawrence, and Beach Road, the reason they vote for the mayor is that the mayor is not just the city mayor, he's the county major mayor. He's the county executive. And all of the people in those cities pay county taxes. So if we did not allow them to vote for the county executive, they would not have an opportunity to be voting for the people who are taxing them. They have their own separate representatives in the councils. We'll change gears a little bit and talk about. Uh, uh, yeah, and I want to repeat because it means then that they still have intact their local government representative called their city government at the same time being able to participate. So they have two votes for a chief executive of the strong mayor system. Actually, John, let me ask you. Uh, could you guys have done UNIGOV and included the excluded cities? Oh, no problem. Could you guys have done UNIGOV the way you did uh, back in the 1968, 1970, and included the, why didn't the excluded cities, Beach Grove, Lawrence, Speedway, uh, Southport, get included in UNIGOV? Oh, you're asking about the excluded yes, cities? Yes, sir. Changes. 
Now, you may ask the question, why should a resident of Speedway get to vote both for his or her mayor and also the mayor of the entire uh, county and city? And, of course, the reason for that is that they will be taxed by the entire area, and if they did not have a vote in the mayor of the larger city, then that would be taxation without representation and probably would not pass court muster. So I, I guess what, what I'm saying here is that, uh, yeah, there are a number of things we did here which today, looking back on it, would you do it that way now? The answer is no. But this was 53 years ago at a time when the city of Indianapolis was floundering badly. So that's what caused us to move forward. Uh, Billy Bro, uh, we'll talk about uh, some of the unintended consequences of uh, Unigov. Uh, what do you think those have been? I think your mic is muffled. Uh, uh, what, would you, what would you say are some of the unintended consequences of Unigov that we're dealing with today that you wish folks maybe would have thought about or maybe been compromised with the harder or maybe not compromised at all back in 1970? Well, first of all, it takes courage to do the right thing. And it was easier to leave out the school system than to stand up and say that it is important that they be included. Because they were not included, the Indianapolis Public Schools has been decimated. In 1967, I think it was, we had about 108,000 students. Today, we have about 30,000 students. The tax base has been just gone for our practical purposes. And when we don't have money to use on the students who need the services the most, these are the students who were disadvantaged to begin with, we had all kinds of health problems, etc. The tax base is gone. So what happens? Then the legislature and people in the community begin to say, something is wrong with that school system. We've got to correct it. It's, it is all their fault. And as a result, we had Carter Schools instituted. In 2011, I think there were 24 charter schools. This did not solve the problem. Then you have to go to innovative schools. That still does not solve the problem. So we are left with what can we do to make sure that these students who are left out today in public education can somehow survive. I don't know what the answer is, but I know that it takes courage it takes wisdom, it takes definitely outside the box and say, this is going to be difficult to get done, but the future of Indianapolis is important. We must be more than brick and mortar and drillways. We must be mindful of what this does, not only to our kids today, but to our kids in the future, and not only that, What's going to happen to Unica if we have a society that is not...
This podcast was produced and edited by Chris Spangle and Leaders and Legends, LLC. If you're interested in starting a podcast or taking yours to the next level, please contact us at leadersandlegends.net.